Well, throughout the season of Lent, I am going to be preaching a series of sermons on the eighth chapter of Romans. If you were here on Ash Wednesday, you heard me allude to Romans 8 as one of what I would call a desert island passage. It's the kind of thing you want to commit to memory if you're ever stranded on the desert island. You know, you hear about believers in exile who have the hymnal memorized or scriptures memorized because they don't have access to the printed word. Well, you know, just the fantasy of what parts of scripture do you want to have inside of you if you're ever in that situation? You know, I, I don't know that any of us will ever be stranded on a desert island, but you know, the, the point is it's worth memorizing because it is such a complete and yet incredibly succinct description of what has happened in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's an expansion, if you will, on what Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 5, when he says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What Romans 8 is, is it's an answer to the crisis that Paul pretty much introduces in Romans 7. And that's what we talked about on Ash Wednesday. And that crisis is how our religious attempts to get to God ultimately end up doing quite the opposite and isolating us from God as we get stuck in this endless circle of trying to impress God and find ourselves more worried about ourselves than discovering and apprehending and being apprehended by the love of God. But Romans 8 comes crashing into that crisis and into that despair with an incredible word of hope that God is not inaccessible, but that God has decisively acted to pursue us and draw us into and restore us to relationship with himself, not because of our striving, but because of his action and and his desire. And so today we look at the first eight verses of this marvelous chapter, and I'll read it for us now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own sin the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please. God. Let's pray. Lord, help us by the power of your spirit to take St. Paul's hand and walk through this text and to hear in it an invitation to life and to know that you are at work pursuing us and then encourage us to turn around and notice that truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, in that endless uh, work of the preacher of trying to find contemporary allusions to the point that I'm making in my sermon, one of the sources that 
I think I've often used over the years that I've been preaching is that I'd have to say that the movies in which Meryl Streep has starred have played a big role in sermon illustrations uh, over the years. They figure prominently. She's a great actress, and great actresses are attracted to good writing, and Meryl Streep gets a lot of great lines to say and great characters to play. And one of them came to mind as I was thinking about this text this week, and that's the character she played in a movie called The Devil Wears Prada. She played Miranda Priestley, who was sort of a veiled reference to the editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine. Not too veiled, I guess. But Street plays uh, Miranda Priestley, and she is a perfectionist. She is sort of self-absorbed, not sort of, but really (laughs) self-absorbed willing to step on anyone in the regular pursuit of assembling the perfect issue of the magazine, which in the movie's case is called Runway. And she has a staff around her who are constantly seeking her approval. And it's an endless and futile task to receive the approval of Miranda Priestley. I really encourage you to watch this film. It's it's Meryl Streep at her best, and it's a marvelous depiction of this kind of ruthless sort of narcissistic leadership. But what I want to say is, is that I think a man, Miranda Priestley is many people's image of God. Religion counts on it, actually, and is perhaps based on it, because the fuel for religion is a brittle and easily offended God, as is Miranda Priestley. For religion is, in essence, the futile striving to impress a God who is not quite graspable by us. Wanting only to hear that line from Jesus' parable of the talents, a lot of people have come to me and said, you know, my real goal in life is to hear God pronounce, well done, good and faithful servant, when I stand at the gates of heaven. It's interesting that they take a line from a parable where it's questionable in my mind that the master that Jesus is talking about in that parable has anything to do with God. We can talk more about that in another sermon and later, but they rip those words from context and suggest that that's the measure by which we'll know that we're on the right path is when we get that affirmation at the end of things. Well done, good and faithful servant. As if God's pleasure is only based on our attempts to make sure that he is happy with us and not disappointed in us. But we can save all of that for another time, as I've said. But the insidious thing about this pursuit is that we never quite are certain that we have been successful in trying to impress God or please God or avoid the displeasure of God. We strive to be affirmed, and very often at the end of that striving, we just feel condemned because God is like Miranda Priestley who is just so terribly disappointed that we didn't come through. But here in Romans 8, Paul begins with some good news, some very good news, actually. And the good news is that the whole religious enterprise 
This attempt to impress God or earn God's favor or striving what he calls in the flesh, and that word flesh just means everything that is not God, everything that is us apart from God. Spirit is everything in us that is connected with God. When Paul uses those words, that's what he's referring to. And so what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is the whole religious enterprise or this attempt to impress God or earns God's favor or this striving in the flesh ultimately leads to nothing more and nothing less than feeling condemned. What Paul is saying is that this very feeling of condemnation is itself condemned by Christ. That in Christ, condemnation is itself condemned. How, you might ask? Well, Paul says it pretty succinctly. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That there is something in the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ by joining us in our predicament that literally hauls us out of it. And it's not just his death. It's his life. It's his ministry. It's his birth. It's his resurrection. It's all of who he is that draws us out of that closed circle of condemnation and puts us into relationship with God. In short, what Paul is saying is God did what we cannot do. <clears throat> Striving to keep the rules doesn't transform us, but it only keeps reminding us of how bad we are at keeping the rules. It doesn't teach us how to love, the law does a much better job of reminding us of how easy it is for us to hate. So in Christ, God condemned condemnation. Paul says it very well in the, in the first chapter of Colossians when he says, All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus and so reconcile all things to himself. Karl Barth puts it another way. I pull out, every time I preach on Romans, I pull out this letter to the Romans. Um, there's about 30, 60 pages just on chapter 8. But he says something that I want to read to us that, that may or may not be helpful to you, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> if it is, great, take it. If it isn't, just enjoy listening to the words. Uh, in him, the flesh has been deprived of its independence and restored to God who created it. God created the flesh and made it in such a way as for relationship with himself. But when we have nothing but ourselves within it, it's an independence that just takes us away from God. So in him, the disorder and corruption under which it groans has been laid bare. And thereby the hope of redemption, which it awaits, has also been exposed. In him, its independent might and importance and glory have been condemned, and thereby its glory and significance 
as the creation of God, have been restored. God makes happen what we cannot make happen ourselves. And it's as easy as that, and it's as hard as that. And simply stated, Paul's words at the end of the text say it all. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, if you're trying only under your own power and initiative to please God, you won't do it. And you won't find God's pleasure in you. Striving to please God does not please God. This is big stuff. And we have eight more weeks to chip away at it and to slowly unpack it and contemplate it. It won't be the last time I mention this. We've got those eight weeks to try and live into the freedom that's proclaimed in it. We've got our whole lives to try and live into the freedom that's proclaimed in it. And I want to close today with a poem by Wendell Berry that I think helps us to just sit with this. In his Sabbath poems in 1999, he, Wendell Berry has written years and years and years of, of Sabbath poems where he would go out on a Sabbath and, and write a poem. And we've looked at those during a Lenten study a couple of years ago. And I don't know whether we looked at this particular poem. I think it's a picture of him walking away from church one Sunday and kind of frustrated with what he heard and going off into the woods and sort of regrouping which is not a bad thing to do when church frustrates you, to step back and understand that there's something bigger than church. There's relationship with God. And so he writes this. What a consolation it is after the explanations and all the predictions of further explanations still to come to return unpersuaded to the woods, entering again the presence of the blessed trees, a tree forms itself in answer to its place and to the light. Explain it how you will. The only thing explainable will be your explanation. There is in the woods on a summer's morning bird song all around from guess where? Nowhere, that rigid measure which predicts only humankind's demise. As he walks off into the forest and is unpersuaded by the predictions and explanations and further explanations of still to come. As he walks off, kind of scratching his head at the sermon, he looks at a tree and finds in it the very thing that reminds him that there is something bigger than his understanding and something bigger than his striving. There is that tree that just seems to find its place in the light and orientates itself toward God. We have to try to explain the miracle of what has happened in Jesus Christ. What is the truth of the gospel? But what's also true is that our words often fail us. And ultimately, all we can do is live into it and rest in it. It's like being in the presence of those trees that Barry talks about. It is that act of simply letting God love us and sitting with it for a while. And when we do, what we do is learn to rest in the truth that God made us for himself 
and that our hearts will always be restless until they rest in him. Let's pray. Take us out of that place of striving and put us into the place of resting, O Spirit of God. Remove us from the lie that we can do it on our own and help us to know that there is something bigger than avoiding your disappointment or earning your pleasure. There is relationship with you and you have reached for us and made it possible in and through your son in whose name we pray, amen.